The following talk was recorded at Label the Planet 2021 Empowering Users, the annual conference on current issues in ethics, social justice and technology from the Free Software Foundation. Label the Planet is a live conference and speakers often use slides and other visual tools to assist their presentation. You can see the videos of these talks at media.libreplanet.org or on the FSF Peertube channel. Label Planet speakers do not represent the mission of the Free Software Foundation. We host speakers talking about their use of free software in different kinds of political and commercial work. The FSF supports their freedom, but does not take positions on any political issues other than those necessary to uphold the principles of free software. Like all the FSF's work on behalf of the grievance of all computer users, Nemo Planet is made possible by thousands of individuals. To keep our work going, please consider becoming an associate member via my.fsf.org join or making a donation at my.fsf.org donate. You can stay informed by subscribing to our newsletter, The Free Software Supporter, at fsf.org fss and for more information on LibrePlanet, you can visit libreplanet.org conference. Hello and welcome everyone to the Jupiter Room. Uh, the next uh, session is entitled Right to Repair and will be presented by Kyle Weens, the CEO of iFixit, uh, the free repair manual. The right to repair physical items and the right to use and alter software as you see fit they are closely related, especially since so many everyday items now integrate software, often in ways that detract from rather than enhance your experience in using the product. The FSF started a new campaign in late 2020 to support the right to repair and an educational animated video called Fight to Repair uh, was produced and will continue to report on and support the issue going forward. Uh, along these lines, Kyle and iFixit have fought for the right to unlock cell phones, repair tractors and alter other items in both courtrooms and workshops. Kyle's talk today will explain why the right to repair is so crucial, the legislative efforts to defend and expand this right, and the latest news from the right to repair movement, including the battle against DMCA, which bans breaking encryption on hardware that you might rightfully own. With that, I will hand it over to Kyle, and thank you very much. If you have questions, please put them in IRC, and um, we'll collect them at the end. Thank you very much. Over to you, Kyle. Awesome. And Patrick, feel free to send the questions over in real time. I would love to be interrupted to answer questions. I am uh, super thrilled to be here. Uh, thank you all for, for showing up virtually. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, this is, I mean, we are in uh, kind of the battle of our lifetimes. This is a battle for uh, control. Who controls uh, what goes on in our lives? Who controls our hardware? And it's not just, um, that, you know, the, the sort of software freedom fight that all of you have been, been fighting for so long. This is about the future of every physical thing in the world. Um, it used to be that uh, physical products, uh, you had complete autonomy. You could do anything that you wanted with them. Uh, your toaster, if you wanted to modify your toaster and uh, you know, <laughs> paint it green or uh, you know, soup up the, uh, the eject mechanism so it threw the toast in the air, you could do that. Uh, but once, uh, once software moves into uh, your toaster and it starts tweeting at you when your toast is ready, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the sorts of uh, platform lock-in that we see in the software world uh, is moving very rapidly into every single physical thing. Um, and so I, I started iFixit uh, uh, back in the early 2000s 
um, when I started seeing glimmers of this, uh, and I'll walk you through kind of the beginnings of, of what, uh, you know, sort of turned into I fix it, but we realized very quickly that if we did not systematically work to uh, increase our so hardware freedom, uh, that all of the software battles that we've been fighting uh, would uh, be mirrored in the hardware world. Uh, Mark Andreessen likes to say, you know, software is eating the world. Uh, the internet of things, unfortunately, is happening very rapidly. And the idea that you might need to jailbreak your light bulb to upgrade it to a more secure version of Linux uh, is uh, very real. <laughs> um, and and this, is, this is frightening. So I wanna take you through uh, kind of who the main players are in Right to Repair, what some of the battlegrounds are, this is a battle that's being fought in the United States. It's being fought in Europe, in Canada, in Australia, in South Africa. Um, we have a whole global coalition working on this. Um, it's not just I fix it. Uh, Repair.org is the uh, NGO that we set up in the U.S. to fight for this. Repair.org presents itself as a trade association representing uh, retail repair shops, uh, but uh, EFF is very involved. Um, a lot of software freedom organizations are involved. Um, Consumer Reports is involved, uh, the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, a lot of uh, pro-public organizations. And what we've done is set up a big tent. We said, look, we fundamentally care about control. We care about freedom. Uh, but there's a lot of ancillary benefits along the way. There's benefits to consumers. There's benefits to the environment. There's benefits to local small business. And so we brought together a coalition of friends <laughs> uh, because uh, this is a big fight. Um, so right to repair. Um, uh, fundamentally, the idea is let's introduce legislation to level the playing field. And as much as I would love to introduce legislation that says uh, all hardware must have the source code uh, released, uh, maybe we'll get there at some point. Um, but kind of the way along ratcheting our way toward that, this is just saying, hey, if you're going to um, make a product and you have an authorized service network, you need to make available to the owners of those products uh, the same exact information uh, tooling, software diagnostic tooling, parts, basically that same supply chain. So if Apple has a supply chain that supplies the genius at the Apple store, genius, um, that same information needs to be available to owners. Uh, and that um, political framing has been very successful for us. So we frame it, this is a local jobs issue. Uh, we have uh, Republicans across the United States introducing this legislation. Uh, in, in Florida right now, we have an agriculture right to repair bill that's been introduced by Republicans. It's, that's doing very well. Um, so, and then in, in Europe, uh, we have a similar uh, coalition repair that EU, uh, which is also environment groups, consumer groups, folks like uh, the Restart Project, which is a repair uh, group out of London. Uh, we have um, Rundutisch Reparateur is a is a roundtable repair in Germany that's been very involved, as well as the European Environment Bureau. Buick, the European Consumer Bureau. So big coalition, big tent, that was the idea. Big tent uh, and, and focus on a populist ask. Um, and, and so far it's working. So uh, this is a little bit of an old slide. Uh, in 2012, Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts had a ballot initiative and asked voters, do you want to be able to take your car to a local mechanic? 88% of voters said yes. Um, Massachusetts had another ballot initiative uh, this last election cycle. Uh, and, and sort of similar, very high overwhelming numbers. And this was specifically updating the right to repair bill for wireless telematics. So the data, you know, the cellular connection that your car has uh, to be able to say, hey, I wanna shift my telematics feed to another, uh, <laughs> to another uh, provider so that uh, if I have a GM car, maybe I don't want GM to have real-time location data where I'm at. 
Uh, and if you watch the, the FSF uh, right to repair video, uh, it is highly relevant to this. Uh, and this uh, campaign, I mean, the video, I didn't, I, I wasn't involved in the creative uh, on that. But what I, I don't know if they knew when they did this is that the Massachusetts Auto Right to Repair Law covers all automobiles. It does not cover ambulances for some reason. And so you have the right to repair any car in Massachusetts you want, unless it's an ambulance. And if you watch that video, you will know why that's important. <laughs> um, kind of fascinating. Uh, so I fix it got started uh, because of leathers like this. So I was I was trying to fix my laptop. Um, I was a, I was a university student studying computer science. I'm a I'm a software engineer. That's that's my gig. I like to code. Um, and I was looking for a service manual for my laptop. Couldn't find it on the internet anywhere. Came to find out later after I had sort of bumbled my way through the repair that Apple had used legal threats to keep those service manuals off the internet. Uh, and this has been happening ever since. We have manufacturers uh, overwhelmed, I mean, all the time uh, sending cease and desist takedown notices, whether it's um, Toshiba sending a takedown to Tim Hicks in Australia, or there's a, there's a wonderful uh, free resource for hospital medical service manuals run out of Tanzania. Um, German guy named Frank runs a website called, very creatively called Frank's Hospital Workshop. And uh, he posts service mails for all kinds of things. He gets takedown notices from manufacturers and has to like stop telling people how to fix infant incubators in Tanzania, uh, where the manufacturers don't have an authorized service network in Tanzania and he can't show the service manuals. So this copyright being used to limit what people can do uh, is, is a very real problem. So when Toshiba sent this letter to Tim, I decided that we would step up and help. And uh, we launched Operation Fix Toshiba. We crowdfunded, uh, we said, hey, you know, donate us some money, we'll buy all the laptops that Tim had to have manuals taken down, and then we'll write new free versions of all these manuals. Uh, and we did it, and we made Toshiba a new logo. I think their marketing team was very excited about it. I never saw them use it, though, I don't understand. Um, and uh, and, and we, we did it, we have now open free, um, uh, manuals for all the products that, that Tim had taken on, offline are on ifixit.com, so we're jazzed about that. Uh, but there is a big but. The problem that we have in the world of hardware is just the sheer multiplicity of models that a repair manual, uh, repair information needs to be highly specific to each product. So if you look at these, all these different iPhones, ifixit, my team has disassembled every single one of those iPhones and written painstaking detailed step-by-step -step repair manuals for how to open these things up. Uh, opening and repairing an iPhone 7 is different than an iPhone 8, is different than an iPhone 8 Plus, is different than a 10, is different than a 10R. All these are different. Fortunately, this list is not that long, right? <laughs> so we can do it and we've managed it and we're comprehensive with Apple products. The problem is when you get with other manufacturers, this is what the Android landscape looks like. Uh, at any given moment, we think there's something like 5,000 Android phones in the marketplace and it you know, swaps out every, every 18 months or two years. Um, trying the traditional open source route of you know, creating a new service manual from scratch online for every single product is a challenge. Uh, and so we have um, you know, done our dangdest to keep up in our community. And, and if you're interested, please, you know, take the next time you take something apart, take photos, upload it to iFixit, and we'll sort of increase uh, access to knowledge. But at some point, we need help from the manufacturers. And that's that's what that's what Right to Repair is all about, is to say, hey, we all, your manufacturer already has a service manual. Let's get that into the public domain.
Um, along the way, as we've been working on kind of increasing public interest, public knowledge on this, uh, when I talk to people about repair and I say, hey, why don't you fix your thing when it breaks? The number one question, sort of pushback I get is, well, what about my warranty? And my response to this is, well, if it's broken and your warranty is valid, then why aren't you just having the manufacturer fix it under the warranty? That's my first response. Uh, the second one is, ah, because these void if remove stickers that are on everything are completely illegal in the United States. Um, and uh, we have uh, we have gotten uh, manufactured, well, the Federal Trade Commission got involved and, and has waited on this, so that's pretty fun. Um, so here is a heat map uh, from last year. This is actually our, our opposition put this together. Some of the U.S. states that right to repair legislation is happening in. Um, this is a, a cartoon that was in a, in a major newspaper talking about, you know, like, hey, like, can we, what kind of society do we want to structure? And I think what's fun about what we've done with right to repair is that we've brought mainstream, um, uh, we've we brought mainstream the, um, the idea that you know users should have control, and we found arguments that work that are effective, um, that uh, that are kind of more sympathetic and mainstream than maybe some of the arguments that we've used in the in the in the free software movement. Um, that's environmental arguments. Um, I have here uh, so this photo on the wall. This is a rare earth mine in California. Um, it's uh, you know, the magnet the, the, on the speaker in your phone probably has neodymium that came from either a mine like that or a very toxic mine in, in China. And so using some of these, like there's a, the, the, you know, both US, Europe, Japan uh, are very geopolitically concerned about sourcing of, of rare earths. And so we've said, well, one way to minimize the demand, the need for uh, imported rare earths from China is to uh, extend the lifespan of products and, and focus on, on reuse and repair. And then also use the repair information to increase recycling recovery rates. So uh, that is, uh, <laughs> that's been um, a, a very important uh, part of, you know, trying to figure out how to mainstream this whole thing. Um, so we, we've been saying, hey, you know, like, and this is, we have, we have talking points when we work with liberals and when we work with conservatives, but fundamentally across the board, everybody's in favor of jobs. And so by framing this freedom fight uh, in the context of local economic recovery, uh, it's been very compelling. Uh, Europe is pushing towards a circular economy. The idea of the circular economy is here we have a linear economy, you dig things out of the ground, uh, you, uh, you know, you make things out of it, right? And then we use them for a while, and then we throw them away, and they go wherever away is. Well, the idea of the circular economy is let's focus on on these these inner loops, right? So you've got whether it's repair, reuse, refurbishment, recycling. The closer that you stay to the user, the more economic value is generated. Uh, so an Illinois economic study found that uh, repairing products and extending lifespan of electronics generates 200 times as many jobs as recycling them or landfilling them. I'm drawing lots of triangles. Look at that. Um, so this is the, uh, and, and so Europe has, has uh, really bought into this and the European Commission has passed the circular economy package uh, and part of that is, is right to repair rules. So getting involved in the mainstream economic debate uh, and saying, hey, let's frame the freedom argument that we have in the broader context of where we want to go with our economy, how we're going to achieve you know, national or, or continent-wide objectives 
um, has been has been very successful. Um, and we tell people we're like, hey, repair is a cornerstone of our environmental and economic future. And I have given I have shown this slide in uh, so many contexts to, to politicians, to activists, uh, and and we don't talk about. Uh, Free software. Uh, we, I mean, I, I care very much about this, but the way that we're framing it, the way that, that we're bringing it uh, to the masses, is we're talking about, hey, you know, you should have the right to fix your things. That's common sense, and we don't get into the details. The moment I start talking about source code, politicians' eyes glaze over. Um, and so this is one win that we had: those warranty void if removed stickers. It's purely psychological. It doesn't change anything about the product. Uh, but we got the Federal Trade Commission to agree to demand that manufacturers stop. And they sent letters to Sony and Nintendo and Microsoft and said, stop putting those warranty void if removed stickers on products. And this, I think this is just a massive psychological win because overwhelmingly um, consumers just like, it's, it's just a, a thing that eats away at our, our perception of freedom. Uh, you know, yeah, the warranty is just a contract between you and the manufacturer. It just saves you a little bit of money. But it's the thing that prevents people from opening up their devices and looking at it and, and, and wanting to see under the hood, whether it's under the hood of hardware or under the hood of software. Uh, following up on that letter, the FTC had a, a big workshop uh, that they called Nixing the Fix. And they had a whole bunch of us come in and talk. And then they did this kind of cool uh, diagram. So this is... Um, you can kind of zoom in. I showed up kind of at the bottom over here. Um, and uh, they had you know, the manufacturers said, no, you can't work on your things or, you know, people will hurt themselves. And we're saying this is crazy. Who's hurting themselves fixing things? The harm that's being done to society is manufacturers locking people out of the devices that they own. Um, and so this has been uh, uh, very fun. We have new FTC commissioners now, and I'm told that the FTC is going to be coming out with a report uh, summarizing their findings in this um, soon, which will be very interesting to see how that goes. I've got a question uh, from the audience. People want to know, how much free software is iFixit using to produce content? Service manuals, graphics, marketing tools, analytics. Uh, yeah, so we, all of our engineers, I mean, we work exclusively on uh, Fedora. Uh, and I make all of my, <laughs> every new engineer, whatever their background is, I'm like, hey, welcome to iFixit. Here is your, uh, your GNU Linux laptop. Uh, good luck. And, and that has been wonderful training. Um, I'm, I'm on the, the technical side, so I would, I, my, I would answer this with, what is the stack that runs iFixit? We run, we run on Fedora, we run on MySQL, we run, uh, we use HAProxy and Varnish as, uh, Varnish has been a game changer for us. Um, we use, um, a, uh, a queuing service for rendering images called uh, Beanstalk. Uh, we use, uh, you know, uh, libffmpeg for uh, for transcoding videos. We use, I, 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 well, we're using, um, I'm blanking on the image library. Uh, we use, you know, Graphics Magic for, for all of our image processing. Like the entire stack, top to bottom, uh, for, for serving and running iFixit is open source, and we're completely indebted to so many people that came before us. Um, yeah, so uh, we are uh, we're a, very much an open source, uh, you know, free software engineering shop. Um, we have another question. With banter around the idea of smart firearms that will incorporate software, do we have a stance on the freedom of firearm owners that may be forced to use uh, smart firearms? You know, anytime you're forcing software into something, I'm, I'm very concerned about it. Because, yeah, okay, so you're going to say it, your, your gun has a has a fingerprint sensor and then, you know, do what, can I audit that software? Um, 
So I, I would be supportive of additional safety measures on firearms, but I would not be excited about uh, safety measures that involve electronics. So can we figure out a way to make a smart firearm that doesn't have a microchip and doesn't have software? That sounds awesome. If we're adding software to things, eh, let's not. So I'm, it's like voting, voting. Does voting you know, machines need software? I, I, don't, I don't know that they do. So, but while we're talking about hardware, let me show you. So, uh, you know, there's so our freedoms around uh, uh, what we can do, like uh, legally, but there's also just the practical limit of what can we do to get in and like how hard is it to physically open these things? Like we have the legal right, you know, you can take your phone and you can smash it with a hammer and that's, you got the legal right to do that. But practically, can you get it open without breaking it? And so I fix it has repairability scores where we take new products and we rate them one to 10, how easy or hard they are to fix. You can see there's a wide range in scores out there. And I wanted to show you sort of the real world impact of this. So I went to Akihabara Radio Town in Tokyo, which is this amazing re, uh, you know, market. It's anime and electronics, the two greatest things in the world, right? And as I was wandering around, there's one, and this is a, a uh, stairwell down into this basement. And a sign in Japanese says, welcome to junk world. And of course I had to go in and skull. <laughs> and, um, it turns out that this particular shop, they sell broken uh, electronics, and there is a popular subculture hobby where people take apart electronics and fix them, and then you know give them away or sell them. And so these guys just sell broken stuff. Uh, and this table here had all broken, uh, broken laptops and tablets. And if you zoom in on this Microsoft Surface sign, it says Surface Pro 3. I fix it, scored the Surface a one out of 10. It's very hard to fix, bet you can't, ha ha. Um, and they actually had all the all the products on here scored by price of how easy or hard they were to open. Uh, so that's pretty neat. Wouldn't it be cool if, if other things in the world were sort of scored by how open or not they were? Um, thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so here is like specifically, and I, I want to like not just like doom and gloom you. I want to show you a story of redemption. And so this is the Microsoft Surface laptop, which is a product that we were very frustrated by because we started trying to open it up and there were no screws on the bottom. And it turned out the whole thing was like glued and riveted together. And so we had to like cut the thing open and totally destroy the laptop in the process of getting it open. Very frustrating, integrated storage, integrated everything, just not fun. Uh, so this is how you get a zero out of 10 on my repair score. Fortunately, Microsoft listened to us. And with the new Surface Laptop 3, uh, same external design, same form factor, same weight and everything. But uh, inside, look, there's screws and you can open it up and uh, it can score a five out of 10. So we're starting to see manufacturers respond to some of these. Um, Europe has been talking about you know, products having a repairability rating. France, starting January 1st, has said that, that laptops and smartphones and a few other categories of products have to have a repair score next to the price. Uh, and that repair score includes public availability of uh, service information. So uh, we, we have a question, why can't we say like 20 specific Android models have complete service manuals? You can certainly like, iFixit has manuals for hundreds of Android phones. So if you're looking for a phone for yourself, uh, one easy filter is just go and see if we have a manual for it on iFixit. If we do have repair guides, you're set. If we don't, then maybe look somewhere else. Uh, but now this French score actually factors in whether the manufacturers themselves are releasing that information. So we're very excited about that. Um, Zooming back over to the legislative change. So, you know, practically, can we open products? Well, what does it look like to pass legislation? This is that ballot initiative for cars from 2012. Um, showed this already. Um, and uh, we are you know, kind of imagining 
uh, so we have over 25 U.S. states so far in uh, in 2021 have introduced bills. We have bills moving in Colorado, in Oregon, in Massachusetts, New York, Florida, Montana. Uh, there's a hospital only device only like medical device only bill in California. Um, so this is this is hot and heavy right now. And if you want to get engaged, please uh, 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 hop on to repair.org. Uh, you can go to your states like massachusetts.repair.org or newyork.repair.org and we have a handy widget for writing your legislator or you can just give them a call so that's what's happening on the state front the other thing that i'd like to talk about quickly is copyright uh, and anti-circumvention um, so dmca 1201 i think this audience uh, knows very well this is the uh the section of the law that makes it illegal to do certain kinds of math uh, as an engineer, I am morally uh, opposed to restrictions on math. So this specifically what the law says is that you can't circumvent a technological protection measure protecting a copyrighted work. And unfortunately, software is a copyrighted work for eh, reasons. So um, what are we doing about the MCA 1201? Uh, well, we there every three years, Congress built an escape hatch into this law, and every three years we can apply for exemptions. So, for example, jailbreaking an iPhone would be illegal unless we had an exemption to 1201 uh, that legalized jailbreaking. Fortunately, we do, uh, thanks to the Electronic Frontier Foundation, who are pretty good people. So the Electronic Frontier Foundation got that exemption. We've gotten other exemptions for things like unlocking cell phones and moving them from one carrier to another. Um, uh, and uh, starting uh, about a decade ago now, something like that, iFixit started weighing in and applying for repair exemptions. Uh, and we got a broad exemption for repairing a bunch of electronics. And then we applied on behalf of farmers and said, hey, can we make it legal to jailbreak tractors for the purposes of repairing them? Uh, and we got that exemption, which is cool. Unfortunately, every three years, we have to go and ask for that again. And so right now we are in the middle of that process. We had to file our exemptions this last summer um, there has been rounds of rebuttal. You can go to copyright.gov slash 1201 uh, and, and see the filings right now. Um, we've sent our most recent filings. The thing that we're pushing for, we're asking for a broad right to repair uh, exemption, broad repair exemption. EFF is asking for a broad modification exemption. And then uh, specifically the one area that they said they didn't want to let us uh, modify uh, electronics in order to repair them last time was game consoles. Uh, Copyright Office thinks that their job is to protect video game creators from piracy, and so they have taken away the freedom of everyone to be able to repair their game consoles as a result. So we're diving in and zooming in on that one in particular. Uh, so where are we at in the process? Well, there's been legal filings back and forth. Copyright Office has all the information, and now they're going to have a bunch of stakeholder hearings, which will all be virtual on Zoom over the next month or so, and then they'll be putting out their recommendations and issuing new exemptions um, maybe end of the summer. Um, so that's a process that we're very uh, engaged in. It's a very technical, legal you know, thing, uh, and we're super grateful to EFF uh, and uh, Free Software Foundations Engage and other folks uh, for working on that. Oh, here's the law. Bad law. Bad. It, we would, the goal is to repeal this law, uh, but that's going to take a while. Um, so that is, um, that's my kind of high-level overview. I, uh, at this point, I wanted to kind of pause and, and take questions. Uh, I would love to zoom into technical details uh, in different ways with you, whether we, you want to talk about uh, tractor hacking. Uh, we run a tractor hacking project at tractorhacking.github.io. We need security researchers to help us on that. Uh, if you want to dive into the security angle of this, 
Paul Roberts is giving a talk tomorrow on the cybersecurity aspects of right to repair, and he's put together a wonderful coalition called Secure Repairs. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a question about copyrighted math. Okay. <laughs> So uh, you, the, the beginning of, of this, so the DMCA, uh, I remember, so I was in seventh grade when the DMCA passed in 1998. And I remember reading Slashdot back then and being so mad about the DMCA, I didn't fully understand it, but I remember actually printing this text out at the time on the school computer, and you know, like, this has to change. Well, here we are <laughs> 23 years later, uh, and um, uh, this bad law is still on the books. Now, fortunately, we've gotten a bunch of exemptions to it, but. How does this make math illegal? Well, circumventing a technological protection measure, um, the, the classic, the first example of this was the DCSS algorithm. So on DVDs, the copy protection was the content scramble system, something like that. CSS, not the modern CSS. That was the, the encryption tool. And there was a open source tool called DCSS uh, that, that was not very uh, long that, uh, I don't know if it was, I don't know what the license was, but it was just an algorithm to reverse the, the, you know, unencrypted DVD. And uh, people were putting it in all kinds of, like, you could buy a t-shirt with the DCSS algorithm on it. You could buy, uh, you could buy, um, you know, uh, uh, songs. People were, like, singing it to the tune of Happy Birthday just to try to get this algorithm out there. And But this law made that algorithm specifically illegal. Um, so that is frustrating. And, and to my knowledge, I don't know of any other law that makes certain kinds of math or code illegal. And so just like on the sheer principle of free expression, freedom of speech, I find this really problematic. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation obviously agrees, um, and they have a lawsuit, uh, they have filed a suit against the US Copyright Office trying to declare this law specifically unconstitutional. Um, that law has been languishing in the courts for four years, but we're hoping that it'll pick that up. And I think that, I mean, if we could just strike down this law entirely, the world would be a dramatically better place. Uh, and if you are watching this and you're like, Kyle, you've been babbling for the last five minutes about U.S. copyright law. I'm in Germany or Canada or wherever it doesn't apply to you. Ha ha. The United States uh, and Hollywood is very, very good taking copyright laws passed in the United States and exporting it everywhere else. And so the TTIP treaty had this 1201 in it. The TPP, uh, Pacific Partnership Treaty, had this 1201 in it. Like uh, the imperialism uh, that is the United States uh, knows no bounds. And uh, our Hollywood um, lobbyists are coming for you. So we have to fight this battle in the US. And then we also have to fight it in every single trade treaty um, to make sure that it doesn't get ensconced in treaty. Because once it's in an international treaty, it's even harder to unwind than, than the national law. Patrick, do we have any other questions? Uh, we don't have any current questions right now, although the chat is ablaze with discussion. So you're prompting <laughs> lots of good uh, uh, ideas and um, discussions out there. Um, I'll throw it out to the uh, IRC channel to see if there's any specific questions or topics uh, that you uh, that they're interested in. You hit me up, and then I threw these on at the end. I'm not going to give this talk, but you can imagine a whole separate talk that would just be talking about how to man in the middle of tractors and maybe create an alternative uh, uh, ecosystem. So John Deere, the, the context for this is John Deere has a uh, proprietary 
diagnostic tool that you need to do common tractor repairs. So if you're accustomed with a car, your car, you know, check engine light, you can plug in a OBD diagnostic tool that says, hey, error code one, two, three means transmission speed sensor error, and then you can fix it. Farmers don't have that tooling for uh, tractors. And so there is, uh, this is a free software project that we helped start, um, tractorhacking.github.io, where we've been starting to reverse uh, John Deere's proprietary protocol. Isn't DCSS covered by the interoperability exception? I'm going to pass that off to the lawyers. The, the, the answer that I've heard from lawyers is no. Why? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. I'm a coder. Um, so here is you know, some of the work that some of our folks have needed. So it, uh, we're super interested in, in more contributors. If you know security researchers that are interested, uh, the farmers need our help. Um, and this is, this is the project we're working on, decoding all these CAN bus signals. And then the goal is eventually to have a uh, like alternative, uh, uh, right, public source code audible uh, uh, version of the John Deere diagnostic software. So that, that's, that's where I'm at. I fix it. You know, we're continuing to write repair manuals for everything we possibly can get our hands on. We have a network of about 80 engineering universities that are helping. We would certainly welcome your help. Uh, the goal is, I think, I think that access to service documentation is a fundamental human right. Uh, and that if you have a product, you should have access to all the tooling and software that you need to do that repair. Um, and, uh, and so we're going, to, we're going to keep fighting. Uh, we have a question. What's the situation in Canada? Uh, there was just uh, some news articles. Google Canada or uh, you know DuckDuckGo or whatever Canada right to repair. Um, there is a bill in the Canadian Parliament right now that's a right to repair bill. Um, I think it's a little bit of a long shot. I don't think we have as much of a coalition there. Um, Open Media is the NGO that has been leading the charge on that. And so if you're interested in getting involved in Canada, uh, reach out to Open Media or you can reach out to to me. My contact info is here, and I can plug in with the right people. Um, what's the status of the warranty stickers for other countries? <laughs> this is one of those questions. It's a legal question. It turns out warranties are like highly country specific and also very esoteric. And so um, I bet you if you asked a random Canadian lawyer that question, uh, that this is the question of what's the legal status of warranty stickers in Canada? Like are warranty voided for move stickers uh, valid or not? I would bet you most lawyers in most countries don't know the answer to that. You have to like find a warranty specialist lawyer in that country. Um, and so I am ashamed to say this is this is a question that I am not equipped to answer, even though I have paid a lot of attention to it. And I've asked a lot of people questions. I haven't gotten straight answers. Um, but I've been told that they are sort of similarly dubious in, in other places. Uh, another question, is there a push for right to repair in vintage computers game consoles? I know it's a teardown and I fix it for the Nintendo Virtual Boy. I did that one, I think. Uh, yeah. The Virtual Boy was super fun. I and uh, I while I was in Japan when I was in Akihabara, I bought a Famicom, uh, which is the original uh, you know, Nintendo Entertainment System before they called it the Nintendo Entertainment System. It was only in Japan, and so I think we took that apart on I fix it too. We pushed really hard. As far as I know, I fix is completely. Com I, I'm going to say this, and then all of you are going to prove me wrong. I think I fix is totally comprehensive with retro game consoles, like starting with some of the Magnavox ones and the Atari 2600. There is a thriving community of Atari 2600 repair folks on iFixit. Like when you get a console that's that old, you get you know, individual capacitor on the board fails. And so people are doing all kinds of cool low level repairs. Um, so 
right to repair and you know once a product has stopped being made right to repair doesn't really apply but the community can step up and we can support those things and that's really where ifixit shines is everyone in the world that's fixing an atari 2600 ought to be on ifixit collaborating with each other we have all of these wonderful, this is what happens when I hang out with a nerdy audience. All of these questions are like highly specific about the area that you're interested in. So we have a CNC question. Um, and I would say this is the case across the board. Like um, I have here, so on my desk, I have, so this is a Mackie speaker. I bought it because it was the wire cutter recommendation. Okay, uh, so I got the speaker for a year. Let's say, let's say 12 months in one day, right? So warranty gone. Um, and uh, it stops making noise and if I there's a toggle switch on the back to switch left right audio and if I uh, wiggle that switch uh, I get audio and so that switch is failing and then the, the course of failing it's taking out the whole the whole system so I google for this and it turns out this is very common and I call Mackie I'm like hey can you sell me the switch and I'm like no um, so it turns out someone on the iFixit forums uh, had to figure out the circuit diagram for around the switch and they posted documentation. They kind of created their own schematic and they said, hey, if you don't want the switch anymore, you can just bypass the switch and here's the pins to solder. So I pulled the speaker apart, I soldered a jumper switch across it and we're good to go. Uh, that's the kind of freedom that we need with our hardware, right? If the manufacturer isn't gonna support it, okay, at some point, fine. Um, uh, it's, up to, it's up to the rest of us to, um, uh, to kind of take that on. And I would say all of us have our individual thing that we care about, whether it's your automatic cat food feeder or your laptop or the CNC machine that you work on or you're a scientist and you have the microscope. Oh, I got so many questions about scientific equipment or you're a, a technician at a hospital and the x-ray uh, machine software is locking you out without a service password. Like there's so many of these specifics. You think about every single thing that all of us interact with in our lives and you know, we all have different spheres of things that we're working on. We all have different spheres of products that we care about, but the ability to repair and tinker with all of them cuts across everything. Um, so uh, CNC users have been uh, complaining about being forced to use a manufacturer website service and send files from their computers to their cutting machines. Oh, you're talking about CryCat. <laughs> yeah, uh, we published an article about CryCat on, uh, on iFixit yesterday. Uh, yeah, this is this is a disaster. I, as I was looking into this, there is a open firmware equivalent that you can load onto your CryCut. I would I would bypass them completely. I would boycott that company. This is crazy. Um, CryCut is it's this new thing where they're saying if, if you want to upload more than twenty files a day, you have to be on a subscription. Like physical products tied to a subscription service online, bad across the board. Never ever ever. Um, People want to know, do, are we going to support Libre.js on iFixit? We have published source maps on iFixit, so I would hope that all of our JavaScript, you can get access to it, uh, but we are not technically compliant with Libre.js in terms of how the source map is linked, and that is on our technical roadmap. Yeah, we're, we're trying, but the goal is not at all to minify JavaScript. We're just trying to make the site usable and fast for people, uh, and the source maps should be available. Um, do we have a generalized tutorial on the basics of taking an embedded hardware device and getting to console on JTAG, et cetera? Uh, we don't, and that would be a wonderful thing to do. So if you want to help us with that, uh, it's a wiki. <laughs> Please come and help or find someone that can, absolutely. Um, Patrick has a question. I think this is good. And Patrick, how much time do we have? Um, and I'll read this question. So this may be a weird one, but how did we even get here? How did we end up with a world where it's even questionable whether someone can repair their property? Yeah. 
the way we got here is that somehow along the line, someone decided that software was copyrightable. I mean, that's a big part of this, right? And this is what we've been fighting in the in the free software world for a long time. So that's a major problem. But also, what what we've noticed is that when you have a product that gets successful, um, a tractor is a good example. Uh, and um, like at first, it starts out, and John Deere sells the tractor, and they do everything they can to help farmers fix them. And then they set up their service network and they start making service revenue where they're going out and they're charging $150 an hour to go out and fix tractors. Well, at some point that turns into a big business. And so there's a billion dollar line item somewhere in John Deere's, you know, right? Uh, and there's a, there's a division at John Deere that's making a billion dollars a year fixing tractors. And they start saying, hey, uh, what are ways that we could expand our market, right? And, and they're like, well, we're doing a billion dollars a year of repairs. Farmers are doing repairs on their own. Independent mechanics are doing repairs on their own. What if we could take some pieces of that pie and take it back to ourselves? Uh, this happened uh, with Nikon and Canon. There used to be independent camera stores in every city in the world where you could take your camera to get fixed. And they had access to service information and parts from Canon and Nikon. Um, that uh, that <laughs> uh, system uh, about five years ago, Canon and Nikon both decided they were going to just stop selling parts to the local camera shops and tell everyone, well, just mail your cameras into us and, we'll, and, and they'll do the repairs. And the idea was they'd be more profitable because of that profit that the independent repair shops were getting was going to go to the, uh, was going to go to the manufacturers instead. Well, this is short-sighted thinking because what actually happened is people just stopped fixing cameras and it was yet another reason to switch to smartphones instead of SLRs. Um, in the tractor world, farmers don't really have a choice. Um, and, and so as John Deere is moving to more and more proprietary diagnostic software, they are increasing their market share of repairs. I have a friend who runs a fairly large local farm. They have a couple full-time mechanics and they have a big shop. And they, they, they'll say, hey, if we have a Ford F-150 uh, truck and the transmission goes down, uh, we can repair that. We have the tooling, we can. We have the diagnostic software, we can do it. If we have that exact same repair go wrong, uh, or, uh, failure on a John Deere tractor, we have to put the tractor on a trailer, haul it to the dealership and have them do it solely because we don't have the software tool that we need to program the new transmission. Um, and so that this is, it's purely monopoly. It's all about money. This is a long-winded way of me saying it's follow the money. Uh, and manufacturers, because they create the product, they, they create the intellectual property, they have the trademarks, they have the patents, they have the copyright on the you know, communication protocol. They've got this very handy 1201 law that, that makes it illegal for us to like go in and try to create our own diagnostic software. They have been very handily given a monopoly. And you know, I don't think that they were forward thinking enough to be involved in the DMCA discussions back in 1998. I think it was Hollywood versus the internet uh, at the time. But the, the, the sort of control that Hollywood managed to negotiate for protecting movies has taken freedom away from every other item in the world. And I think if you were to go back and talk with the, the congressional reps who negotiated that law in 1998 and said, did you realize that Section 1201 was going to apply to every single physical product in the entire economy, uh, they would be shocked. Um, the entertainment economy is not bigger than the repair economy, uh, but the laws that the entertainment economy has passed are now stifling that repair economy. So um, frustrating, frustrating, yeah. How did we get here? It's a good question. If you want to dive in even more uh, into the history of planned obsolescence, there's a wonderful book by Giles Slade called Made to Break. 
um, highly recommended. And we, if you go on iFixit, you go into the right to repair section, we have a whole resources page with all kinds of other, uh, if you want to really dive into this and get, get into the history of it. There's a lot of academic literature. There's a lot of communities focusing on this. There's a wonderful group called the Maintainers. That's an academic network of people talking about this. Yeah. Uh, do we have articles on car hacking for supercars like McLarens? I don't think so. We would love to have that. We'd be interested. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Kyle, I, I, go ahead. I, Kyle, I put the call out, and um, I believe that's all the questions that were I've been able to capture from the chat, but if I missed any, in IRC, please uh, post them again. Uh, we've just got about two minutes left in the uh, times here. So Kyle, if there's any last uh, things you want to touch on, I'll grab any last questions. And, yeah. And, uh, go ahead. Well, so I, let me just kind of talk through ways that you can get involved because I've I, this has been rapid fire and I've talked about a lot of things. Areas that you can get involved, join repair.org or repair.eu, or in Canada, get, get in touch with open media. Those are places to start, because those are the coalitions that are working on, on this legislation. Um, you can uh, write your legislators. So in, in if you're in the United States, uh, write your elected representatives. This is your state legislator or uh, senator. Um, and ask them to co-sponsor the right to repair bill. It's really easy. Uh, if you go to you know, florida.repair.org, uh, we have a handy widget. And uh, phone calls actually matter a lot too. Um, so those are kind of the initial lightweight ways. Um, also, we'd love to have you involved on iFixit. Uh, we're trying to document, we're trying to take apart every single dang thing in the world and get instructions online on how to take it apart. Uh, and that's something that, you know, no one individual can do, right? This takes a, this takes a village. Um, how can university researchers get involved? You're welcome to email us and we can point you in directions. It sort of depends on your specialty, but we have uh, we have kind of a call for research uh, regularly we put out. There is a fantastic academic conference coming up next month, I think, called PLATE, P-L-A-T-E. It's Product Lifetimes and the Environment, and it is a fantastic conference all about this. And you have asked the question, how did we get here? A lot of sociologists and historians at that conference uh, talking about that and also looking at product psychology and how we can how we can get better over time. Um, and I would say, you know, to take a step back, I know that we're focused on free software and we want to advocate for, uh, you know, open software systems, uh, but we need to think about all of the products in the world and all of us, like the amount of software that is out there in the world is increasing exponentially. Uh, and it's because you can, you know, like how easy is it, how cheap is it to get a, you know, a little home security system or home camera that, you know, talks to some cloud server. So consumers are being inundated with software in their lives. Like the number of lines of code in the typical household is just growing like crazy. Uh, and if we want an iota of control over that, we have to we have to start engaging with the manufacturers directly because we're like it's just not viable for us to like replace all all, all of what they're doing with with open tooling. We got to find a way to. Um, inject this and right to repair doesn't get us all the way there. It doesn't get us to free software on all the hardware out there, but it's a step in that in that direction. So thank you all very much for all the awesome questions. This is super fun. Um, I'll be around um, and I'm always on, on Twitter and elsewhere to, to hang out. But thank you so much for inviting me. This was a lot of fun.